This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We speak with a multi-award winning graphic novelist and young adult literature writer. There are several health care bills that await a decision by Governor Mike Parson. And we're going to have a conversation with the Disabled Athlete Sports Association out of St. Louis. But first, Anthony Morbeth chats with Republican Senator Rusty Black of Chillicothe. Fresh off his first session as a senator, we'll be speaking about his bill that passed the Missouri legislator and awaits the potential signature from Governor Mike Parson. It's Senate Bill 157. Senate Bill 157 began as a fix for nurse practitioners, APRNs, to be able to practice, uh, honestly, in the women's uh, correctional facility in Chillicothe with the groups that had the, uh, as the contract to provide medical services to our correctional facilities. Sometimes Chillicothe was beyond 75 miles away where the collaborating doctor was located. Uh, when this, when this, uh, agreement first began, we were still under some COVID, uh, relief. Relief in the fact that governor had, uh, of course, waived several rules, and that was one of them. Well, whenever this rule went back into effect, the 75-mile geographic rule, that caused nurse practitioners to be, uh, oh, I hate to use the word illegal, but practicing outside the boundaries of what our state statutes have said. So, the beginning of this was to change that 75 miles to 200 mile restriction. So anything less than 200 miles where it began. And as we went through the process during the year, committee process, working with other senders, working with people associated uh, with nurse practitioner in the health industry, the bill ended up with some other things involved in it that helped provide uh Healthcare professionals throughout our state. Uh, you and I discussed earlier uh, before we started that there's a shortage of healthcare professionals. It's hard for citizens to find somebody to work with them throughout our state. I believe Platte County, in a, in a map given to me, was the only county that had enough general uh, medical care providers for the population. So the 19 counties that I represent, there's certainly a shortage, and we need to work as a state to still provide good, adequate care, but to be able to allow a few more people to do that and not be quite so restrictive in some of our rules in the state of Missouri. And that's what this bill intentionally focused on. And I think as it grew, become an ominous that many people get frustrated at. But when those are done correctly, and everybody works together and tries to make sure they stay on subject to take care of uh, a particular problem. I I don't see that they're necessarily the bad a bad thing because many of these things that ended up on this bill have been vetted for years, and they the language, the work that have been done. I think I think very good, and I think citizens state of Missouri, even though this may not be something they hear on the nightly news all the time. It's going to benefit a lot of people in our state. 
the Health Professional Loan Repayment Program. I was interviewing and I have discussed this subject with several other members of the Missouri legislature, including on the House and on the Senate. And one specifically that comes to mind is uh, the Representative Ken Hayden, who's uh, in Mexico. He said the reason he put this uh, sort of provision together, at least when he put it for together on the House side, was because he had two hospitals in his area that basically had closed and um, wanting to focus, as you had mentioned, on trying to fill needed positions in rural Missouri and how hard and how difficult that is now that basically we're not in the COVID pandemic anymore. Very true. Um, Here in North Missouri, uh, we have hospitals that are in stressful situations, and because of the distance, it's very difficult to say, well, that one just needs to close. That That is not true. Uh, you know, we have entirely what I would call community or private hospitals still left in the 19 counties that I represent, and we have larger hospitals that uh, have come out and purchased or helping operate hospitals, and both of those at times struggle in North Missouri to get uh, people to come up here and practice. Um, recently, the OB department at uh, Chillicothe at Hedrick Medical Center, which is associated with St. Luke's, said they were going to have to close the OB hospital. And it wasn't necessarily because they didn't have any business. I think uh, I want to say the number of babies that were delivered the last reporting year was around 250 to 280. I don't have that to top of my mind exactly what that number was, but it was a fairly high number. But the problem is getting a physician to come out here in rural Missouri and live. I don't know what has happened, but people have decided this isn't a place to come. And my understanding is St. Luke's tried very hard and offered a, a tremendous bonus. Somebody or what I would consider a tremendous bonus to move out here and help the current practitioner so that uh, he didn't have to work 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, or at least be on call, and they were unable to do that. So, yes, I, uh, Representative Hayden and I are good friends. Uh, we started talking about his bill at the very beginning of uh, legislative session. Well, really, last year there was discussion about it. began, and I hope it'll work. There's... Uh, other people that want to do more tweaking. They don't want to, they want to do some loan forgiveness once somebody comes out here and practices in rural America for a period of time. So, again, I think this is a, a beginning and hopefully not the end of discussions around trying to get healthcare professionals to move into rural areas of our state. We're talking with Republican Senator Rusty Black of Chillicothe here on Show Me Today. He's the sponsor of Senate Bill 157, which was truly agreed to and finally passed, meaning it passed the Missouri legislature, expecting a signature from Governor Mike Parson. You know, we live in a day and age where opioid overdoses, unfortunately, happen way too often. I've family in the law enforcement and the ER nurse professions, and the stories they could tell relating to this is fascinating and oftentimes sad. And it looks like your provision relating to opioid overdoses sort of gets rid of the government red tape. Yes, certainly that's what the goal was. I know Representative Shields from Buchanan County was part of this language, and I can't remember what other representatives or senators were part of it, and I apologize to them for that. But, uh, 
for sure Brenda had contacted me as as the year went through and told me where she was putting uh, language similar to this on and discuss this. And yeah, there's there's certainly two parts of this are important. Our original, uh, until this becomes law, Narcan, that's a uh, common thing we refer to. And I think the real name, if I pronounce it right, is Naxalone, uh, is the only overdose treatment allowed in our state. Well, there are other treatments becoming available. I want to say last week I heard there was another one approved by the FDA. And in our state, that that source would not be available. It would be illegal to use it. Hopefully people would still do it to save somebody. But we need to change our law to allow anything that will help us with opioids uh, be able to reverse the effects and save people. We need to allow that drug to be administered. And, of course, with fentanyl, you know, we, as you said, you uh, have family that uh, and friends in law enforcement and work in hospitals. Fentanyl, uh, the understanding that I've got in many cases, people use Narcan to help somebody that's overdosed on fentanyl, and they think they're fine, and 15, 30 minutes later, they're, they're back to not being fine. So, we have to continue to try to improve those drugs, and our state law was restricting that. So I'm thrilled to death that this is hopefully going to become law. Hopefully the governor doesn't find something in one of the bills where that provision is found that uh, needs to be vetoed. I, I hope it ends up on something for sure that can make it to the end. And on that note, as we bring the discussion on Senate Bill 157 to a close, are you expecting Governor Parson to sign this bill? Are you expecting him to veto portions of this? What's your take? Uh, at this point in time, uh, we worked with governor's office whenever the bill was going through uh, the process those last final weeks. I don't think there's any problem with it at this point in time, but I, I hope that that is true and nothing's changed. But uh, there were some provisions on the bill that caused heartache, not only with the governor's office, but other places that uh, probably weren't bad, but they hadn't been vetted long enough. There was concerns about language. I think we got all those things taken off the bill in the conference report. And I hope that to be true in the governor's signs 157. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Hey, see, you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. <laughs> Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Teddy! No! Are you okay? Somebody knew something! Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office.
Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, we also face a mental health pandemic that threatens our well-being as we attempt to rebuild our social networks and communities. The pandemic has reminded us to value family, community, and our human connections. However, it has also left many of us feeling more isolated, confused, and alone, struggling to find meaning amid loss and uncertainty. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges. But many of us do not understand what we are facing or know how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you are going through, and we are here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit mentallyhealthynation.org to learn more. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Returning on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, Johnny Christmas is a multi-award winning graphic novelist and young adult literature writer who recently visited Mid-Missouri. He talks with Ashley Bird about his recent and popular book, Swim Team. So when I was five years old, I fell into a pool and I almost drowned. And that was a very foundational uh, part of my life. It was something uh, I carried a lot of shame around it as a kid, and, and that stayed with me uh, you know, my, my life. And it was only after I became an adult, I had started taking adult swim classes. And I, I started thinking about why that was such a, um, why I didn't know how to swim at that age. And, and only later did I realize it was an issue of access, that there was no pools around my neighborhood. Um, and, and then when I started doing, um, and I started writing these stories around this and it kept coming back up, like this, this issue. And when I started doing research, I started realizing that that the issue was more widespread than just my own personal story. Cause as a kid, you just think it's you. But then I started realizing that, um, that, you know, uh, you know, black kids between like ages of like eight and 11, uh, eight and 14, something like that are eight times more likely to drown in a swimming pool than their white friends. Or, and I would speak to other black folks I knew and all of them kind of had anecdotal stories of it happening to them or someone they knew and so on and so forth. So I knew that the story was, was larger than just me. And I, and at that point, I had a certain sense of urgency to really tell the story in a way that was uh, accessible, a way that um, had all these other elements around it, you know, like team sports and making friends and moving to a new town, but also having this fundamental issue where our lead character, Bree, asks the question, well, why don't I know how to swim, you know? And then that unpacks a whole bunch of, of the reasons as to why and then the, the, re, the, uh, the ways to move forward. And this one. 
called Swim Team, Small Waves, Big Changes, has won, uh, been recognized quite, quite a few ways and is a National Book Award nominee and the Scott King Award. That's for nonviolent social change. So you're saying that through the illustrations reaching eight to 12 year olds, but I enjoyed reading it, that there's an education about racism and social change. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and I wanted to have the, that information laid out in the book of the, um, the systemic issues that, that are inherent in public swimming areas in the U.S. Um, but also a very huge component is a way forward with social change. Um, uh, that we can move forward together, that it's not a, a blame game sort of thing. It's a, it's a societal issue that we can all pitch in and, move towards a brighter day together because I don't think anyone wants to see children drowning, you know? So, uh, it, it's not a, so the seeds that were sown that put us in this situation are one thing, but the way to move forward is something that we can all do together. And, um, and I think a, a book like, uh, Swim Team in a graphic novel form is a very accessible way to, to do that. And, and a lot of the conflict in the book, you know, there's lots of conflict because stories require drama. Um, all of those are, um, reconciled in a non-violent fashion or non, um, everything is moving towards, towards connectivity. You know, that's, that's been a big theme in my work and something that I find very interesting is the ways in which we lean in instead of leaning out. And that I think so many of our problems could be solved if we just kind of lean in and, and give each other the benefit of the doubt and give each other an ear and, uh, a moment of time, you know, to actually hear each other and, and, um, and solve our problems together, because I think that's the best way to solve them. We're talking to Johnny Christmas, who is a writer and an illustrator, and has done a wide variety of work. We met Johnny here at the Unbound Book Festival in Columbia. It was a great festival. <laughs> Did you have fun? It was fantastic. I had such a great time. I got to speak to a, a group of third and fifth graders. I got to speak to a group of seventh graders, and I, and I had a session at the library a Daniel Boone re- regional that was really wonderful. And, um, and all the authors were great. All the locals were great. Uh, I had a local take me out to, to, to get some pierogies, you know, it was such a, a warm, welcoming, um, uh, festival. Is yeah. there anything that you're working on now that's new that you can tease us with? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a, a book that hopefully will be out next year. And I'm playing with the, the themes of, uh, summer camp and video games. So that's, that's, that's my tease now. It'll be for the same, uh, audience, young, young readers, uh, you were thinking like eight to 11 year olds, same, some team, uh, you know, demographic of, of, of reader age. So I'm really excited about that. It's going to be a, as it's coming together, it's a, it's a really fun, fun book, you know, and, um, if you want, I could speak a little to the respectability of graphic novels. If, uh, of course. Yeah. Cause I have much like how you were kind of like fleshing out the question. I, I my answer isn't I, maybe I, I'll see if I could flesh, flesh together something. Cause I have, I have thoughts on how uh, Will Eisner, the great um, cartoonist, he was the one who's credited with coining the term graphic novel because he wanted to do, um, I think it was a book called contract with, with God was his first one. And he wanted to do this long form comic book, but he didn't want people to confuse it with Spider-Man or Batman that it wasn't a uh, adventure story, that it was this theme, this, this book that was going to, uh, I think in that book, he was handling the themes of uh, this man wrestling with his faith, uh, Judaism. And 
But, you know, it's just this like internal struggle of this guy just sort of living his life, but also wrestling with these things, you know, and he made this contract with God and, and he wanted God to, um, and, and he, he maybe he thought he was, he was getting shortchanged or something. So he's, he's wrestling with his faith and he's wrestling with God. But these are the themes that, that, you know, it's going to be really hard to get into a Superman comic book, but he wanted to do it in the form because he loved the medium much like I do. It's a, it's another delivery system for a story, right? It's no different than film or TV. Has the graphic novel always been taken seriously or it seems that the graphic novel is taken just as seriously as any other form of literature, but it's been a long road to get there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think there's only been one graphic novel that was um, nominated for a, it wasn't a, for a, I think for a Booker Prize, you know, uh, only one has won a, um, a national book award. Only one has won uh, a Newbery. So, Things are, that's things hard are to happening. imagine. That's hard to imagine because yeah. that's a kid's, yeah. a kid's is, are the audience for that. Exactly. Yeah. But, but for some reason, those are considered, um, the domain of prose. Um, and if images are attached, I think, um, someone once said that people thought of comics as a domain of, um, of like subliterates or something, you know, and comics do have an incredible power to, to invite literacy, you know, for people who are reluctant readers and, and so on and so forth. But it's also this, um, but the same could be said about any book, you know. Um, comics are also a form of very, I don't know, I find it very high. Like the, the, the literature in comics can be extraordinarily dense and um, thought-provoking. And also that you're reading images as well, you know. So a lot of times, like with my, my scripts, like I'm shaving so many of the words out of there because the image, the image is already telling the story. So I'm paring down as much as possible. So it's not that there's a low word count for because, you know, of a deficiency of the medium. It's because of the power of the medium. The the medium allows far more this whole other dimension where you're reading emotions on a character's face instead of me describing what the character is feeling. I can show you what the character is feeling so that when I do come in with um, a description, it's a, it's a one, two punch, you know, it's a double whammy or I could, uh, have a push and pull, the image is telling you one thing, but the words are, are alluding to something else, much like when, you know, someone is having an argument with someone they love, and they, honey, how are things? Oh, I'm fine. But the face is not saying, I'm fine. You can do that in the graphic novel, you know, and there's, um, it's just, and that's just one of many wonderful, powerful examples that, that, um, that this medium has in store. And I think as we go along, you know, more maps of pieces are, are coming you know, by the day we've got Mouse that came out, you know, you know, like in the 80s, you got Watchmen, you got so many wonderful works. And and it's just the tip of the iceberg. Those are all on the list for people who are interested in learning more about graphic novels. I did want to to mention in this in in Swim Team, there is a poignant like three frames where she gives her a bracelet and then there's a pause and then there's this hug. And it's really sweet that you gave like three frames for that to happen. And I was, I was sitting there wondering what was going to happen. And then there's this hug where it showed so much more than a simple thank you would have done, right? It was, that was the, yeah. that was, I love that scene in the book. And I really love the fact that you gave the, the uncomfortable pause a frame as well. And then the hug is just really well drawn. It's just, captures a lot of emotion 
Thank you so much. I know that you're a busy guy and you are, um, you're on Pacific time and we're on Central time. So thank you for making the time to be with us on our show. Show me today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control, and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you have a concern about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. 
mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You've tuned in to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. Several health care related bills await a decision by Governor Mike Parson. Elisa Nelson talks with Representative Patty Lewis of Kansas City, who was involved in the passage of several of these bills. So we have a primary care shortage throughout the state. Uh, during the interim, before session started, I was part of a working group, a health care working group, where, um, you know, had some bipartisan support. And we talked to many stakeholders in the healthcare community to identify uh, issues and, and help come up with solutions. And the number or lack of uh, resident spots, uh, primarily in uh, primary care, was brought to our attention. And um, that was something that we that I worked hand in hand with Representative Hayden, um, Representative Senate and Representative Fogel on crafting the language for this bill. So then what's the formula or like the magic number for the increase in the number of slots as a part of this legislation? Well, it will be subject to funding. Um, you know, they'll. So different programs can apply for um, increased residents, and some of them are are ready to do so, uh, that they have the capacity to um, increase the, the, the demand. And, um, you know, what we want to do is obviously create new uh, physicians, future doctors in this state, and the studies show that physicians are likely to stay where they train. So if we get them, if they're able to complete their training here in the state of Missouri, uh, that they will stay here, that we're not going to outsource. Uh, there's been in recent years an increase in medical school physicians. So while we're increasing the education for, for medical schools, we are outsourcing many of the primary care physicians out of state because we didn't have the capacity to complete the training. How how does the lack of residency slots affect Missouri's health care system and patients? Yeah, so um, we have um, every county except for Platt, I believe, is a uh, county of need, um, you know, a, a lack of uh, primary care physicians, a lack of providers. So, um, you know, Missourians aren't able to see their their healthcare provider, um, you know, and, and that's a problem in rural and urban areas, uh, the lack of access to, to the primary care physicians or providers. So uh, what that does is it's, um, they're unable to take care of preventative care, oftentimes um, ending up like in the emergency room for, for conditions that if they had access to a regular primary care physician, that could have been treated uh, proactively versus ending up in the emergency room. Is there anything else about this bill that you think is that Missourians need to know about? Um, I think, you know, I think that it, it was uh, really amazing to be part of the process to learn about the issues and concerns during the interim and to work with bipartisan support on uh, adopting 
bill language and you know, this was the first time this bill was heard uh, and to be <laughs> make it across the finish line uh, in one year is, is quite frankly a miracle. But I think it just shows the dedication that several of us have um, on a, addressing the healthcare crisis that impacts our state. State Representative Patty Lewis of Kansas City joining Show Me Today. I'm Elisa Nelson, and you are a registered nurse by trade, might I mention. And so this is, of course, near and dear to your heart, just being a part of the medical field. I mean, the list goes on and on, I feel like, Representative Lewis, as far as health care bills getting across the finish line this year. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I was really pleased to to have such a focus um, on healthcare this year. I, I serve on the health and mental health committee. And then there was another healthcare committee uh, created this year called the healthcare reform committee where I was the ranking member. And uh, we saw a lot of great bills. In addition to the ones you mentioned there, um, I also serve on professional registration and licensing. And we were able to get across the finish line, several interstate licensure compacts for physicians social workers, and licensed counselors. Um, and that is just um, licensure compact is nothing new to Missouri. Uh, as, as you mentioned, I'm a registered nurse. We are part of a licensure compact as well as PT and OT. This just helps expedite the process to get these folks licensed here in the state of Missouri. Does that include like them doing virtual sort of healthcare visits? Uh, telehealth is separate, but the, the compact licensure just expedites the process. For physicians, for example, um, I supported and sponsored a bill for the Interstate Medical Licensure Compact. And instead of um, the physician wanting to get a license in their state, uh, currently they have to get their uh, college transcripts, um, you know, tons of, of, of footwork and the process can take anywhere from four to six months to get them licensed in this state. And then with the licensure compact, it decreases the time just to a few weeks. So we get these physicians who are fully licensed up and running in the state at an expedited rate. And then you had a, another bill that deals with advanced practice registered nurses. And um, it's so this has to do with the mileage requirement. Kind of explain explain to our show me today audience what this bill would do. Yeah, sure. So um, dating back to to the start of the pandemic during the state of emergency, there were certain uh, barriers that were removed by the governor, which included um, nurse practitioners ability to order home health, uh, the geographic proximity uh, for the nurse practitioner and the um, collaborating physician, 10% chart check was removed as well as a 30-day preceptorship. So those provisions were in place or removed for two years. And then after the state of emergency was lifted, it went, the nurse practitioners went back to the old practice. And that's when we saw a negative impact on patient care. So uh, the provisions that got across the finish line were the lifting the ge geographic proximity. So no longer uh, does the nurse practitioner have to work within 75 miles of the collaborating uh, physician. They, they can work anywhere in the state. Um, that was just kind of a nuance and with, you know, with phones, um, you know, and, and the lack of, like we discussed, uh, primary care physicians or uh, physicians not wanting or not um, 
entering in a collaborative pr- practice, it made it a challenge for APRN. So the the proximity was um, included in the bill, as well as uh, waiving the 30-day preceptorship if the APRN is familiar with, with the patient population. So what that does, um, we have several uh, physicians retiring and um, nurse practitioners are looking for collaborators. And if they enter a, a collaborating agreement, they would have to sit with their new provider for 30 days, um, you know, just unable to, to serve their their patients um, that they've been serving and do just a 30-day uh, preceptorship when they are already familiar with the with the community and their patients. So this uh, bill waives that as well. And then I was just going to talk about a couple other provisions that made it across the finish line with, within the APRM practice, um, that they're able to prescribe Schedule two controlled substances for hospice patients. So uh, really addressing our, um, you know, patients in, in time of need and making sure they're they're pain free. That made it across the finish line, as well as um, creating a new license for APRNs. Uh, previously, they just had a, a certificate and were uh, were working under um, a registered nurse license. So this creates a, a new licensure for them. All right. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Over the past few years, the COVID-19 pandemic has affected how we live our daily lives. Today, we also face a mental health pandemic that threatens our well-being as we attempt to rebuild our social networks and communities. The pandemic has reminded us to value family, community, and our human connections. However, it has also left many of us feeling more isolated, confused, and alone, struggling to find meaning amid loss and uncertainty. Today, one in five Americans experience emotional and mental health challenges. But many of us do not understand what we are facing or know how to ask for help. At the American Psychiatric Association Foundation, we understand what you are going through, and we are here to help. Our vision is to build a mentally healthy nation for all. We work every day to eliminate stigma, combat mental illness and substance use disorders, and advance mental health. If you or someone you love needs help, you are not alone. Please visit MentallyHealthyNation.org to learn more. The first three years of every child's life are critical. Learn more about early intervention. How your baby or toddler plays, learns, talks, acts, and moves give important clues as to how they are developing. If you have any questions or concerns about whether your baby or toddler's development is on track, please call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. Call 1-800-515-BABY. That's 1-800-515-2229. I see you finally got a new helmet. I did. Bought it cheap online. (laughs) Follow me. We'll turn off here. I'm right behind you. Watch the cars. They can be crazy. Was this young man hit by a car? Yes, and his helmet is smashed. It's a brand new helmet. It's probably a fake. Fakes cause real harm. You're smart. Buy smart. Brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. 
Al-Anon and Alicine can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Back here on Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, the Disabled Athlete Sports Association is in the heat of its summer events. Here to tell us more about DASA, their mission, and all of the upcoming events is founder and executive director, Kelly Bellman. Kelly, I think there's really only one way to start. Can you talk to me about how DASA all got started, how it all got together? I am a physical therapist, and I was working in the community of neural rehab and pediatrics. And what I found was that a lot of our rehabilitation criteria was limited by insurance. So I would get a brand new spinal cord injury in, and within four weeks, I had to send them home to their families to be functioning adults, for instance, um, and but still not having the social, emotional, or, or truly the physical aspect that they needed to be productive brothers, parents, or sons when they got home. Um, when I was working in pediatrics, I worked a lot with parents that wanted their children, quote, fixed. Um, worked a lot doing, you know, surgeries and casting and just trying to, you know, to no fault of the parent, they're trying to make their child better. And what I found was in the therapy world, in pediatrics, the more therapy you do, we can certainly teach compensatory movement and we can help them improve their day-to-day lives at an early age or early onset of an injury. But past that, it really is important that we teach our individuals that have different abilities about their abilities and really celebrating what their new normal is. And I knew that through sport and fitness, which I grew up in the world of track and field and gymnastics, I knew that that always made me set larger goals, that I had to persevere through injuries, that I was doing something that I loved doing, and therefore it was easier for me to go to the many practices that we had to do. It was easier for me to splint up a sprained ankle to go ahead and compete in gymnastics. And it was easier for me to develop friendships and social skills because I was surrounded by like peers. Rather than just working with the client themselves as a human being, as an individual and saying, what do you want to do? And how can we emphasize the abilities that you have and demonstrate to you that there is still so much more purpose for you in the world and so much more that you can do. When I actually started DASA, it was um, a very small group, like five athletes that I would, or five students I was working with in a school district. And while doing therapy in the school district, I was having to pull children out of math class or English class to do just basic gross motor skills with me in the corner of a cafeteria somewhere. 
And I thought, how is this benefiting them? We're missing academics and we're not getting the social skills and it might not be really what that child wants to do. So I started inviting some kiddos and their parents to join me in my driveway and we played wheelchair basketball for about three months with about five kiddos and really just developed this wonderful social network had a lot of fun. Now, the kids were still getting the therapeutic benefit because they were still pushing their chairs and popping wheelies and reaching and doing trunk control, all the things that I I saw as a physical therapist, but the kids didn't see it that way. What they saw was they were playing a sport. They were playing with friends. The parents were socializing. It was a much more holistic approach. For anyone who's just now tuning in, this is Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Kelly Bellman. She is the founder and executive director of DASA. That's the Disabled Athlete Sports Association. We're talking about how it got founded and also its mission and all the events that they have going on this summer. Kelly, I have a list of the summer events in front of me here, and it is quite the impressive itinerary from just overall play and hangout days to rock climbing to bikes and boats and everything like that. How did this continue to develop? Um, you know, it's kind of funny because um, there wasn't a business plan. There really wasn't a plan at all. I, I myself am typically a cart before the horse person, and I just do what's right and what I feel is right, and I see joy in what we provide, and so then we provide more. Um, a, a lot of people will ask, how did you get this far? I said, just many blessings and many smiles, and it, it just happened. The... And so it, it did just happen. We started with basketball in my driveway. Um, we moved to a school parking lot. And one night it was raining and the principal came out and said, why don't you use the gym? I'm like, okay. And then one of the kiddos said, I'd like to learn to swim. And so the next weekend we went to the pool and we might have saw another kiddo walking through the YMCA hallway with a walker. And we're like, join us. And then I saw somebody at a Taco Bell with a physical disability. I'm like, join us. And it became something that our athletes talked amongst their peers to encourage more individuals to join us, but then also just kind of put a flag out there like, I'd like to try scuba diving. I'd like to try rock climbing. I'm like, you want it? We'll make it happen. I think the the big difference in what we do and what other organizations that serve people with disabilities in the country do is that we are specific to those with physical disabilities. So there are many wonderful programs out there for children and adults with developmental or intellectual disabilities, but those with a physical disability, cerebral palsy, an amputee, spinal cord injury, so that's a very small number in population, and therefore there are not organizations that provide opportunities for just that type of community. And in order to provide those services, you also have to be able to provide the adaptive equipment, which helps these athletes be successful. Okay, no, and that's clearly, it's been a system that works in tremendous ways, and speaking of contributing in in tremendous ways. I'm assuming that since this is an organization, there are probably multiple different ways to help out with DASA, whether that is by donating, whether that's volunteering, maybe it's people who want to either participate as athletes or be coaches or anything of that capacity. So where exactly would people go in order to get involved with DASA? 
So you can go to our website, which is dasasports.org, and it is a plethora of information. We have photos, we have registration, we have a spot, of course, to make financial donations. We take corporate sponsorships. You can register to participate in any of our special events. Some individuals choose to maybe even do a third-party event. If you and your organization would like to raise money to support DASA and you want to put a trivia night on, we welcome that. We have a very small staff here at DASA. We do all of this work, we say, eight days a week and 13 months a year with eight staff members. So any help from the community is always welcome. And as far as funding, we... We are probably, of all the adaptive sports organizations that are available to people with all disabilities, we are the ones that are in most need of financial support to support our adaptive equipment. That's where it is the most expensive to provide these sports. For instance, an athlete that wants to play power wheelchair soccer, a soccer chair for one athlete to play costs anywhere from 10000 to $12,000 for one chair. Yeah, ten dollars to $12,000 for a power soccer chair. No, I, I can definitely yeah. see how that can get a little <laughs> overwhelming just to put a team out there. So, that, no, it's, it it's, is, yes. it, it's great to see that all of these things are offered. So we don't have time to go through all of these amazing summer events that are going on, but the most recent one that's going to be coming up here. big event that I'd like to mention before we finish is our Tri-Para Sport. And that's an opportunity if you're in uh, mid-Missouri area, Columbia, Missouri, on Sunday, July 16th at the Mizzou Rec Center. We will provide a variety of sports for you to come out and, and truly just try them out. We'll have wheelchair basketball, power wheelchair soccer. We'll be climbing there also. We'll be swimming. We'll be introducing para powerlifting. And just being able to introduce to the Mid-Missouri area or anybody that wants to come into this event on July 16th um, what para-sport looks like. Once again, the Como Tripara Sports event is going to be going on July 16th in the Columbia, Missouri area. And once again, this has been the founder and executive director, Kelly Bellman, of the Disabled Athlete Sports Association. We've been talking about the history, the mission, and all of the fantastic things that they offer for anyone who's eligible. And if you need to go or find any other information about this, go to dasasports.org. That's D-A-S-A sports.org. Kelly, thank you so much for your time here on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. And thank you very much. And for anyone who tuned in late, or if you want to learn more, make sure to search Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri, wherever you get your podcasts. Show me today.